Well, hello, everyone. This is the Signal Life Podcast, a show about snowboarding, music, art, culture, whatever we feel like talking about. Today, I have Kyle Grant, a friend, a snowboarder, a fisherman, and we're going to talk sponsorships. We're going to talk about having the fortitude to make your own decisions and not always count on brands or sponsorship money to get you to the other side. If you love what you do, you'll make it work, and Kyle is a perfect example of that. Plus, I'm amazed at the similarities between tuna fishing and snowboarding. It's unreal. How about a little pin back before we get into it? Sure. Here's Kyle. I'm here with Kyle Grant, podcast style. Came into New York City uh, a couple days ago, right? Yeah, good to be in the city. Texted, Texted me up. Uh, we got some coffee yesterday, and we started talking about your story a little bit, and I immediately was like, we need to do a podcast. You've taken a completely different route. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the themes today is what what has somebody else done for me rather than just going and getting it done yourself. And, yeah. you know, when you and I were first getting started riding, there wasn't a lot of support system back then. You just had to do it, you know? Yeah. The duct tape binding days and whatever it took to get out there and ride, that's what you did because yeah. you love to do it. And I think, uh, you know, this, the industry has gotten away from from that a little bit, or or the culture maybe. And uh, you know, it's something for me where just you know, stopped looking from from the outside and just started looking at what I could do to to really make make my winners better and the best they could be. Right. Um, well, let's, uh, let's give everyone a little bit back a background on us, like where we met. I'm not even totally sure oh, <laughs> when, it, when it was. It, it was somewhere back in the mid-2000s at the factory, I believe, and it was like really in passing, but I think the first time was maybe at the, the rail jam in Whittier, California. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that was like, I think... I think it was Dave's first good taste, right? You know, yeah. what was what was going on and there was just a ton of energy with that event, but it was also just total chaos. Yeah. Um, I think we had like a hundred plus tons of snow in May in Whittier at that event. At a college, right? At a college with a hundred plus riders and it was kind of just this end of the year blowout. Throw throwdown, yeah, yeah, blowout. And uh I think that was where it kinda got going and yeah, that's cool. Awesome and then ride. over the years, um, you would put these these trips together and go out and take riders out in the backcountry with sleds, or you know, you'd, you'd jump in an RV for us and drive yeah. halfway around the country. Some of my best memories are in that <laughs> RV and doing those trips. It was such a unique opportunity just to have you know people really like minded and and great energy on board and just. We, we had a somewhat of a plan, but the format was total freeform. Yeah. Wherever it was snowing or wherever it was good or wherever we needed to be, we got there. And I mean, it was it was uh, just such a unique experience to be able to have that open open page, open book, and, and just roll. Um, we got to do some unbelievable riding with some unbelievable people over those couple of years. And oh, yeah. What were some of your memorable stops and moments? Um. Just one of the greatest things was having Jen Saito uh, on board with us for three months, and Jen got on the RV barely speaking any English, and he and I just had such a great, great time, and and 
you know, the cast would change, but Jen and I kind of remained the constant through that entire trip. And I think we started at SIA and ended up going in and out of Canada two different times um, and all over the West Coast. And just it was it was an amazing experience to see his kind of first take on you know, the U.S. Uh, backcountry and that whole scene and yeah. just getting away from, uh, you know, society for the most part and just being out in these really remote areas for for days on end with him was super cool so that's awesome and for um all the people listening jin saito is our distributor over in japan he actually works for our distributor in japan so he was actually a writer for signal um years ago and he sort of transitioned into an office guy but he's still out there on snow and will take the team riders out on tours in japan and just super good dude yeah, still to this day, you know, we're always in contact, and uh, I think one of the best stops on that trip, we were we were in Montana, and we decided to take a detour, and we went up into Glacier National Park and ended up 60 miles, there's gates on either end of, of the park there, and you, you check in through the gate, and 60 miles in, in the middle of nowhere, we found this little, little bar, and I remember it had Wi-Fi, and Everyone was like, no way, dude. We're, we're stopping at this spot. It was the only thing we had seen. It was like coffee, Wi-Fi, and, and, and a spot to like rip your sled around. And it was surrounded on all 360 degrees by peaks over 9, 10K in every, every area it could look. So it was wow. nuts. And we ended up making great friends with the 10 locals that were actually in town there. Mm-hmm. And we get a great breakfast every morning and then just shred right out of the parking lot and go up into these amazing locations. But, um, yeah, it, it was just such a surreal experience to be so removed and in this really grand setting. It is crazy when you get out there and you're on, you know, you have sleds in a, in a truck or you have a bunch of you know friends kind of following and you're, you're in vehicles rather than flying into spots how many remote places there actually are and how many <laughs> undiscovered spots there are i mean you see all the ones in the movies and you see you know and you hear about you know the different ones in tahoe or whistler backcountry or you know just the famous spots Absolutely. but you can go to a little spot in montana or idaho or you know even washington state there's places to sled that people don't know about oh yeah and you find these little hidden gems and that kind of gets us back to that you know original point we were talking about and that you know a little extra work goes a long way all the time you know just putting in that slight bit more effort and getting off the beaten path you know really opens up so much opportunity in my opinion um and that's really what i i strive to find in in snowboarding and and with surfing and and really anything you know it's that extra little effort Makes yeah, such a big difference. So when I when I was chatting with Kyle yesterday, we were, we were going over your your summers and how you fund your winter, and I thought that was such a great topic for this podcast because uh, growing up, I had a, a good friend. Some people may remember him, Scott Stamness. He rode for Volcom. Uh, he was definitely a fisherman in the spring through summer, even up through the winter, really. And then he would spend, you know, he'd collect that money from fishing and spend the winter doing whatever he wanted. Your story was very similar. And, yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly something that I'm really, really happy with right now. And just where I, where I am in life is everything's come together over the last couple of years. And, again, it's been a little bit extra work. But yeah. it's certainly paying off. And um, about 2012, I started commercial tuna fishing during the summer. 
and I was on a tiny little boat that I had built my myself or rebuilt. Um, you know, done all the glass work and stuff back in the summer, and uh, had a pretty unsuccessful year. But I knew uh, there was potential there. Yeah. So the next year, uh, I sold that boat and got into a much uh, much better platform, and really just went all out uh, over the last couple of years to become a successful tuna fisherman in the industry and um that's that's been a six seven month out of the year gig and then it it certainly makes the opportunity uh yeah to go out uh, easier so there's so many layers to this uh tuna fishing because there was the point where you realized there was a business to be made out of it and you saw that, you know, snowboarding could only take you so far as far, you know, as far as sponsors and the money that was available. Somehow you had noticed that, hey, I could go back, invest in a boat and do this. Like what, when did that moment happen? Uh, that, I think that was probably like the end of 12 and it, it kind of developed really during the winter of 13 because I was kind of struggling around and just trying to, there's so much I wanted to do. And you, you got to make that possible for yourself. It's, you know, you can't always be asking people and trying to like beg, Hey, can, can we do this, do that? You know, you can, you can only do so much of that. And I really wanted to become more self-sufficient. And, uh, you know, that winter I was like, let's go a hundred percent and just dive into this. And that's what I did. I ended up, uh, I think it was the first part of April Tahoe was kind of burning out and I found this boat back home online and I was like, I have to go. And I packed everything up in literally 36 hours from my house in Tahoe and drove straight cross country and went and threw 500 bucks down on the boat. Like, (laughs) all right, let's make this happen. Then spent the next, you know, month trying to make the deal go down and and get everything organized. And, uh, you know, boat needed a ton of work and that's, that was a project in itself just getting ready to fish and had you ever fished before that in this in this capacity where you're going out i mean we'll get into it but you're you're fishing for you know 700 800 pound fish yeah um no not any (laughs) in any way i had never even come close to that so my grandfather who um was super influential in my life as a young kid uh, lived in oregon and we would fly fish and just do all kinds of river fishing and lake fishing every summer when I was three till uh, when he passed when I was 14 and he was super super influential on me in that way um, but I kind of stepped away from fishing for a long time when I was in California and just uh, out west for 10 years I didn't really have that drive to to fish and then I got back to Gloucester that first summer I moved back was 2010 and uh, it was just like playing around fishing for bass and small stuff and we were out one day and this 400 pounder just crushed right behind the back of the boat. And when you see an animal that's that big and that fast, just that that close, the intensity is insane. I was like, I have to go after these things. So that really got me going. But I, yeah, I mean, I had no clue. The yeah. first year was terrible. I love that though. I mean, that's, I mean, it's so much like diving into snowboarding or diving into things that you're you know you're passionate about but you don't know if you want to take it to the next level I mean, it's easy to dip your toe in in any sport or in any any profession um it's another thing to be like I'm all in I'm gonna learn how to do this from scratch basically buy your own boat you know and uh you know we started talking about the similarities between you know the snowboard career and the fishing career 
I mean, there's so many. And in the sense that the way it works out for your season, you know, how you, how you enjoy fishing yeah. and then you enjoy snowboarding and how you're able to separate those two, make money off both of them or, or in little, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of piecing, piecing things together, you know, making it work. And it, one of the biggest similarities to me is the weather. I I am a weather nut because no matter whether it's fall, winter, whatever, I have to be on there to make sure the wave heights are decent. What right. days are we going? What days are we not? What days are you doing repairs? And it's kind of the same thing. You get out west and you're fixing the snowmobile on the bad days that it's raining <laughs> yeah. maybe. or yeah. the, the routine is very similar in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, different goals, but... Right, and I guess that's what I was heading towards is you had mentioned something to me yesterday that I thought was really awesome. You were saying, you know, there's like no better background scenery in both. There's yeah. like you have the mountains with snowboarding and then you have the ocean with, with fishing or, or out surfing too. But like, but in your world, I mean, you're out sometimes you're way out right like yeah i mean how many miles offshore are you so we fish anywhere from the, the real cool days are when you're five miles off the beach because like, it took 10 minutes but right. the real hard days you're 60 to 160 miles offshore right. and you know we were talking yesterday just the grandeur uh, of that experience when you're out so far so far removed you feel so small and this beautiful a scene is just unfolding before yeah. your eyes. You know, tell, yeah. Tell everyone a little bit. Set the scene that I, I got. Uh, yeah. So the last one of the last fish I got this season, we were fishing off of Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is about a thirty-mile run from my place. So uh, typically, I give you the full breakdown of the day. It's a three a.m. wake-up call. The fish were biting first thing in the morning. So three a.m. I'm off the dock, steaming. And it was a pretty rough day. It was a northeast blow the night before. I knew it was going to be bad, but it was getting down to the end of the season. I really wanted to go. And I'm like, I'm leaving. Couldn't find anyone to go with. My mate was was consumed with some other stuff that day. So uh, I just went solo. I'm like, I'm doing it. And I didn't want to subject anybody to this kind of torturous ride down there. Now, had I known how good it was going to eventually be, I surely would have taken somebody. But... Got my brains beat out for three hours straight, pounding down there. And I'm like, oh, what did I get myself into? What are you doing? And uh, I end up catching you. So you're always jigging live bait. So you, you catch your live bait and then put it out immediately on the hook. And, uh, you know, I went and the bait had been in the water maybe five minutes. Deck's a mess because everything was sloshing around. And there's... Probably at this point, the, the sun is just barely coming up, and there's 70 plus humpback whales in every <laughs> 70. direction. 70. 70. And you're lucky maybe if you see a couple in a trip, or, or, or even you know people come by droves to my hometown to go out and look for these whales. And yeah. Sometimes you see them, and sometimes right. you don't. But this it looked like National Geographic scene <laughs> out there, and we had 10,000 plus birds, no joke, uh, all around feeding off the the stuff that was getting pushed by these whales who were bubble feeding and when they bubble feed uh, five or six will work in a circle and they release their air and it confuses the bait and disturbs it and one comes through the middle of them with his mouth wide open now again these whales it, it, you know to give you perspective are the size of a, a yellow school bus I yeah mean, massive <laughs> so this mouth is coming up and they're literally within 
you know, a hundred to less feet from the boat. And you can't get away from them. They're just kind of <laughs> there. So I have the line in the water maybe five minutes, and there's this whole bubble feeding going on right by my balloon. And all of a sudden, the line comes tight. And I'm thinking, oh, man, we just snagged a whale. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a disaster right now. And it started to run, and, and we were fishing very shallow water for what I'm used to. Yeah. This is up on top of uh, Stellwagen Bank. And it's only 85 feet there, and I had actually never hooked one that shallow. And the thing went nuts. It turns out it was a tuna after about three minutes. I'm like, all right, I think this is actually a tuna, not a whale. But I ended up fighting that fish for an hour and 40 minutes while this, again, unbelievable scene is unfolding all around me. And um, the fish ended up being 875 pounds whole. (laughs) And I caught him in six to eight foot seas alone on that boat. So that was uh, that was kind of like the hero moment where you're, you're totally clamming it with both hands yeah. in the air. I love that. I mean, we when you were telling me this yesterday, I was just you know I was thinking about you know to tie it back into snowboarding and the riders that I've known through the years and the different things that they do. It's like you know what a great transition you've made to create a life outdoors for yourself you know what I mean and to oh, continue yeah. on um this the shred path of snowboarding but also to have this you know your office is constantly outdoors you know and, and some people when they come through snowboarding or they you know it gets really confusing actually they don't even know if they want to continue like as a day like as a something that they do regularly like they might go on certain weekends with family or whatever but you know you're always finding time to snowboard and then you're always finding time to you know push the limit somewhere else and that's you know on the boat or or fishing and i think there's also that whole kind of finding unique markets to support your lifestyle yeah. like i had no idea how you could you know live off of small like commercial tuna fishing and that was something we started talking about yesterday it's not like you're this you're pulling in tuna every day no no it's very hit or miss and you have to be really tuned in and you know i had a great season this year but it's only 19 fish right um so (laughs) 19 fish but 19 fish funded your season funded my whole season amazing and so then we started talking about the opportunity kind of the small business opportunity which is what i get all excited about with signal yeah and uh you know the farm to table style opportunity that you've been slowly diving into which is you can catch these fish and then work with local restaurants yeah. To possibly sell off a whole fish or... It kind of came out of necessity this year. Um, you know, the market in Japan had always fueled uh, this really high dollar return for, for the industry. And when we talk about the industry, uh, to give you an idea, last year 2,100 pieces were caught domestically. And this year we had a, a banner year and 3,000 uh, domestic pieces were taken in the rod and reel game. So it's, it's really small. That's insane, by the way. He, t- he asked me this yesterday. And he's like, how many tuna do you think are caught a year? And I was just thinking, like, man, there's millions of people on the planet. It has to be millions of tuna, you know? Like, And he's like, nope, you know, 3,500 yeah. tuna out of the sea in one year. That's a, that's a stellar year. That's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And, you know, so Japan is, has been, you know, kind of going through a recession, unfortunately, for a couple years now. And it's made... Uh, you know, the market pretty soft over there, and it's also put a lot of pressure domestically. So one of the things I started doing was thinking how I could go directly to restaurants and um, 
and help everybody out. So get really fresh product to some great, great chefs and also, um, you know, kind of solidify a relationship there that would help me get a better dollar for my fish. You know, we work yeah. so hard for them. It's hard when you, uh, when you get a poor return or something. Um, so I just wanted to have a little more control in it and also at the same time make a, a another fun angle out of it because I enjoy that. I actually yeah. got to eat some of the stuff that I sold to a few of these places and the preparation was so different across the board and just so cool to experience right. uh, the prep in such a different way. Incredible. Like yeah. that, so I always say with this with this show, it's like it's snowboarding, it's small business, you know, it's yeah. whatever we want to talk about. This small business aspect is so similar to, I feel like, our snowboard brand. It's like we're constantly, like, it's about connecting with people beyond, you know, the retailer. Because the retailer can only do so much now. Yeah. You know, and that's the same with this, it seems, in the fishing game. It's like, you know, there's so much noise that, like, how do you become different? And, you know, as we were talking, that's where my excitement came Yesterday, I was like, wow, we're always with Signal trying to push some something new into some direction that no one's going, you know, and the opportunity um, in the fishing world for you to, one, nine, like, what'd you say, nine fi- 19 fish? 19, yeah. Like, funded your season this year. That's the coolest thing ever. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, some people probably be like, I'll go catch that in a day, but it's obviously exactly. insane. No, the you best know. best boat in the fleet that fished every day. For 180 plus days, had 57. Right, and so my numbers were through the roof as far as catching. <laughs> you killed it this awesome. year, yeah. And then just think about you know when you catch one of those fish. Like it sounds great, but like you know we were talking about even pulling them into the boat. You know by yourself was intense, <laughs> but let alone getting it back to port. You know figuring out how to get it prepped and off to the yeah. you know off to its proper place. It, and that's that's a big part of it is <laughs> same thing with signal like how do you how do you present it and yeah. uh how do you how do you care for the product once you have it out there and um it's it's definitely an opportunity that i see going forward um is is how you prepare the product and, and connect with people like you were yeah. just saying to really create a story behind the food and that's i think a big trend right now in in food people want to know where where it came from and right. how it was sourced and how it was how it was you know Scared, scared yes, for it. same thing in business. People want to know that the people at the top, the CEOs, the founders, actually believe in what they're doing. They're visible. They're not hiding behind like a, you know, a huge investment team that's only out to take their money and, right. and grow the brand and the profits. It's a, you know, it's really like when you get into these niche, you know, sports or these niche, you know, businesses, even like tuna fishing. It's like it's all about the product in the end and all about yeah. the people who brought you that product. Because if, you know, if somebody meets you or somebody meets me and they're like, dude, that, that guy is completely a mess. You know, like, <laughs> why, why would I buy anything from that person? Right. Or I don't know anything about these people. Like, why would I buy this product? Right. But if they can see you, if they have transparency into your company, into who you are, or like your style, you know, like even like through every third Thursday or through a lot of the shows that we do, it's like, it's been so important for me for people to get to know us. Yeah. You know, the factory, me, you know, Mark, um, our team riders, our friends. You know, because I think that shows, you know, you, there's that old adage like you, you can, you know, you can judge somebody on the friends they have around them. You know, a yeah. lot of that's true. You know, the kind of people that gravitate around 
certain things, it means a lot, you know, and, and we've been fortunate to have really good people around us. Oh, so good. I mean, the family aspect at Signal is, is something I'm just so thankful to have in my <laughs> life. Right. I mean, it's been eight, nine years now, and yeah. the group is just so tight, and, you know, it's so it creates such a great energy um, to be part of that, and, you well, know... And I think that's key in anything you do in life. If you can create that energy, um, you know, it just helps propel everything in such a positive direction. Yeah. It's so cool, too, because we were talking yesterday. We had a pretty epic week last week up at Bachelor with yeah. Billy Anderson, and um, he's coming through, and he made a really unique snowboard for the Derby. The ability to, to be able to just go in there and, and take everybody's uh, ideas and thoughts and make it into something. Get it out there, test it yeah. before you put it out, before you, you know, before you sell it is everything. And it's so much fun to be able to do it too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, honestly, I feel sometimes like the selling portion of Signal is just the extra benefit. Like we yeah. created this brand just to make cool stuff. And the fact that other people want it sometimes blows me away. You know, that it's like, that's the added benefit of, for us, it wasn't like, let's make product that people want to buy so that we can make money off it. it was more like let's build a place where we can make what we want make yeah. it the best it possibly can be and then others will want it too and that's the added benefit you totally. know because we are our own customers i've always said that with signal yeah. like we're our own customers like if you want to know what to make just ask yourself because we're out riding every day we're thinking about it every day yeah yeah we want to progress our snowboards we want to you know we want to progress how we make media how we get our boards to different people and that's just that similarity that we had yesterday when you were talking about, you know, from the ocean to the restaurant, the way that you um, go from snowboard season to the fishing season to fund your, your whole uh, year, you know, and your snow season. And that's what I was stoked on. Like when, yeah. Kyle, when Kyle and I were talking, I was like, man, I get so many emails every day from kids that have no idea how to fund a season or want a sponsorship because they think that a little bit of money from signal will get them over the hump or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like those little things and you just decided like I'm doing this on my own, you know? And I think that that's, there's just so much opportunity in that. There's so much freedom. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're you liberated. Can, like you can go do whatever you want. Right. And you, you get it on the head. Like I have fun doing what I do every day. The, yeah. the end result of catching the fish I love I, I love doing it so much that it doesn't seem like work ever at all. Right. You know, and it's like, oh wow, wait, we we can actually sell this product at the <laughs> right. end of it. So right. Um, you know, it, it's really fulfilling to kind of go through your year like that, where everything is, you know, created in a way where you're engaged the entire time and super focused, and it doesn't seem like a, a drag. You know, I never I never hop on the boat. Thinking, right. Oh man, I got to go to work today. <laughs> That's I, I can't, awesome. I, I can't tell you any other time in my life other than snowboarding when I'm like popping up out of bed at three three thirty in the morning, the pitch black, totally charged and ready to go. Yeah. And not like bummed out about it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, some yeah, some people are stuck in a commute, going to a cubicle. You're firing up yeah, the, like, you know, right, the boat. Go around the wide uh, open here, you know. Exactly. And so I just think I felt like it's really important, you know, just to showcase that individualism you know like getting if you're a young rider or you know or an older rider and you want to do something you just go do it like yeah. don't, don't wait for someone to to tell you how to do it or you know to give you a little money to do it like go make your own i mean if you get to a certain point like we have 
in our relationship, like we have found moments where we're able to pull money together and yeah. send you out on a trip or do something unique, you know, and, and we can still do that. That's what's so great. Like having, totally. seeing your, you know, passion for snowboarding and your unique way of, of funding the summer, that's where I was like, we have to do a podcast. Like I want to, like now I want to figure out how to do more because it's like <laughs> such a unique, you know, angle on how you continue to shred. Yeah, well, I'm stoked to be here, so thanks for having yeah. me today. This is yeah, awesome. Brother. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, it's it, you, you, you were getting back to, you know, we have had those opportunities where stuff comes together. I think it, it really comes down to creating options for yourself mm. and having the ability to say, okay, well, if this works, then, then you almost have it twice as good, right? So right. if you have other things that fall into place, then it's only, you know, elevating your your ability and your, your um, you know, means to, to get out there and do it. But at the end of the day, you know, just being kind of self-reliant and having a good plan where you're enjoying what you're doing and, and have a goal and know where you want to get to. That's, yeah. that's key. You know? Yeah. It keeps you energized and, and ready. Yeah. So. I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, the, the positive sides of social media and how, you know, anybody can be creative now and put together cool ideas. And if they're unique enough, they'll get traction. Like, yeah. of course, there are, there are tons of people out there putting together ideas on social media that don't get traction. <laughs> but if you actually, you know, get a bunch of friends together and you, you know, buy a crappy car and you document the whole thing and you go out and find unique places or, you know, like when you guys went out on that, that uh RV tour it's like and it's documented it gets traction yeah you know so it's like there are ways that you can just kickstart your own season or your own snowboarding life or your own your own individual life in For general sure. yeah yeah absolutely and I think you know even regardless of this, the take tuna fishing out of it you know I think that was very much how you and I got and, and Mark got involved in the first place was yeah. I was really just trying to put these kind of grassroots events together and that got traction yeah. with with craig right. over at rockstar and craig got me in touch with you guys and then i saw what you guys were doing i was like oh my gosh this is so cool like yeah. to be able to have um this opportunity to work with such a very like-minded people and I yeah think we all kind of came together on it's that inspiring one. you know yeah. it's like that's that's what it's all about it's getting inspired every day to go out and do something new you know definitely take chances, take risks, see what happens, you know, <laughs> it keeps life interesting. It absolutely does, and I'm awesome, man. super thankful so, to be doing it. <clears throat> nice, so, you know, last question, you got a plan for the season? Yeah, so a couple of days, uh, heading to Bend, Oregon, to get the season kind of kicked off, and uh, I had one really good day of tuna fishing where we laid three on the deck, 1,050 pounds, <laughs> dressed me, so... That day dressed me. Dressed me. I don't know what that means, but that sounds uh, fancy. So that's no, no head, no tail, uh, just strictly the meat that's <laughs> going to the sushi sushi no. counter. So uh, that thousand fifty pounds was a, a good day, and that's paying for my my nice new Polaris snowmobile that I'm going to pick up and bend. Nice. And, uh, so that was that was one day. So. Tuna for sleds. Tuna for sleds, man. <laughs> uh, there'll be a great Instagram photo of yeah. the two next to each other here yeah. coming up. But um, yeah, so we'll go out there, get the sled dialed in for a few days, and then looks like it's going to be a pretty pretty heavy El Nino year. So yeah. making Tahoe is going to be a really good bet. But uh, just kind of bounce around and see what what the uh, snowfall nice. does and where. And, 
going to be a good winner, though, regardless. Nice. Well, I hope that um, one of these days I can go out on that boat with you. I want to do that. Yeah, I'd really cool. love to have you out there. <laughs> i got, I got to yeah. see this after yeah. all these stories. I mean, these are true fishing stories. I mean, uh, they're, they're tall tales that I want to... You can't ride it. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens, you know? Exactly. Well, awesome, Kyle. This has been great, and uh, have an awesome season this year. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks yeah, for having me, buddy. Yeah, Kyle. I love Kyle. He's the best. Always happy, always positive. And it's cool to see how, you know, there are certain people who just figure it out. You know, if they want to get something done, they don't sit around and wait for a handout or wait for someone else to tell them when they can do something. They just go and build their life around what they love. And that's inspiring. Hey, I mentioned a good friend of mine, Scott Stamnitz, up at the front of the podcast. And I thought I'd just take a moment to say something nice uh, about him. It's been many years since he passed away, but he was such a special person, and it was really nice to think about him today. And after talking with Kyle, I realized they shared kind of a similar passion for life and a similar lifestyle. Um, Fishing in the spring and summer, snowboarding in the winter, skateboarding all year round. But always positive and always himself. He was a beautiful person. An amazing skateboarder and snowboarder. He wrote for Volcom. You should look him up. You'll find him skateboarding on the back of his dad's boat. And it's pretty inspiring as well. Love you, Scott.